Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Um, So the reading tonight is from Exodus 7, verse 8 to 13, and then uh, chapter 9, oh, let me find it, no. Uh, 13 to 30. I haven't checked what page that is in the Bibles though, sorry. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will, become a sta- it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the, just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Just need to get to the next bit. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my, might be, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from, a, from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. 
The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Praise to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You do not have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear God. Thanks so much, Ruth. Shall we, um, shall we just take a moment and pray together? Father in heaven, thank you so much that you promised your Holy Spirit to your disciples, that you've sent him into our lives and our hearts. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in amongst us in these next few moments. Please would he come and teach us, challenge us, change us, mold us more into the likeness of your Son. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. Imagine that you're an uh, ordinary Israelite at this point in the Exodus story. The last time we specifically heard from the the ordinary Exodus uh, Israelites was back in chapter 6. Moses tries to reassure them of God's promise to lead them out of slavery, and uh, and we get this. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. So maybe... As an ordinary Israelite at the time, you're you're saying to yourself something like this. This guy, Moses, he's just recently shown up. Uh, He's promised that God will will rescue us through him from slavery, this terrible slavery in Egypt. But so far, all he seems to have done is uh, succeeded in making Pharaoh even more angry with us. Now he's oppressing us even more. So how are you feeling as as that ordinary uh, Israelite at this moment? Just think about that for the moment. How are you you feeling as an Israelite at the time? Burdened, I guess? Weighed down? Heavy? Oppressed? Despairing, perhaps? Confused? Not knowing where to turn? Those are the kind of things God's people in Exodus were feeling at this point in the story. And I wonder if that's kind of the place that any of us are in this evening. Maybe you came uh, here this evening, you were already feeling weighed down by some circumstances in life, things that you're walking through. As I look out, I, I do so knowing that as clergy, we know situations in many of your lives that would, that would weigh you down. And right now, you're also having to grapple with this, this weighty announcement that we made earlier this evening about uh, a historical safeguarding concern. And that might have left us all in, in very different places this evening. Maybe some of us are in an inner state of shock or anger. Perhaps you yourself have, have experienced some kind of deep pain, uh, some abuse of trust in your life. And that has just, what we've said this evening, has just brought that back again to the surface for you. Or maybe that announcement hasn't really affected you in, in any way deeply at all. And those are all understandable reactions. And my guess is in the coming days, they will fluctuate as well. Well, in all that, as we've been reminded already by Elliot this evening, we can bring however we're feeling right now 
and at all times to our loving Heavenly Father in prayer. We can bring it to our Father. We can also bring it to each other. And so can I reiterate that encouragement to talk to anyone in the safeguarding team here or the diocese or anyone in the leadership team, whether about that announcement or about anything at all that's burdening you. My prayer is that in the context of all of that, we, as we look at this next part of Exodus, we'll continue to embrace this bigger vision of who God is. If you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, we saw, we started to see this vision of God, that he's, he's totally sovereign and good, uh, totally wise, and that we're responsible for our actions. And the experience of, of countless Christians down the centuries across the world uh, and in our church family is that in moments of deep trial, we can choose to do one of two things with God. Either we can basically kind of, as it were, push God away, say, this is too painful for me, I I don't want you in this moment. Or we can draw closer to him as we see more clearly this great vision of who he is. And to illustrate how that helps in our lives, I want to share a line from an email that a member of the church family sent me this week. Uh, They were reflecting on some, some really painful experiences from their life many years ago, and they wrote this. They said it was so unbelievably awful and stressful. Yet I had the most amazing feeling of closeness to God I've seldom had before or since. When things are that bad, you have to believe he is sovereign and submit. Now that's the testimony of someone who's moved towards God in their time of pain rather than pushing him away. The testimony of someone who recognizes, I don't have all of the answers, but I do know it's a a sweet, a precious thing to draw near to God in my pain, in my confusion. Indeed, it can be at any time a sweet thing to draw near to God. And so today, this this vision of the wise, all-knowing, all-sovereign God, as this vision expands more, can I encourage us to draw near to him this evening in our thoughts, in our prayers? What happens in this next section of Exodus is that this this all-wise, this all-knowing, this all-sovereign and good God, he... He also shows that he cares deeply about the oppression of his people. Now, before we look at, at the detail of that this evening, let me just speak to a question that I guess a number of us might have. Uh, as we had that reading, uh, as Ruth read it for us, maybe we were wondering if we can really believe that, that, that these plagues, these things recorded in Exodus, were actually real events that, that took place in history uh, in the way that the Bible records them. Uh, some say that you... Uh, that these couldn't have been supernatural events, uh, but that maybe they were, they were natural things uh, that occurred in, in a particularly uh, extreme way in Egypt in this particular year. So they point to, to the fact that uh, when uh, there is massive rainfall at the head of the Nile, uh, it can cause all kinds of ecological effects. And they say maybe, maybe that's what caused these, these different incidents in Exodus. Now, there's several problems with that. The first is that the Egyptian magicians, the sort of sorcerers who were introduced to in the story of Exodus, they, uh, they give up on trying to replicate the miracles that Moses and Aaron perform after just three of the plagues. Uh, here's what happens if you have a Bible near you. This is chapter 8, verse 17. When Aaron stretched out his hand with a staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. 
But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret art, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So even the Egyptian magicians who are trying to prove that they could do things that, that only God could do and failing, they say to Pharaoh, look, look, this is the finger of God. God's doing this. The next problem with that idea that these are just natural things is that, that Pharaoh himself, he's completely shocked. Every single one of these plagues, he, he's never seen anything like them. Nothing in his experience, nothing natural he's seen could explain what he's seeing now. It's also the case that the Bible records that there were those in Israel who, who the plagues didn't affect. The Egyptians were affected by the plagues, but the Israelites weren't. It'd be impossible, wouldn't it, if these were natural occurrences? Now, I'm saying all of that because what it serves to show is that, that we're meant to be reading this story of these plagues at face value as real historical events that happened to certain people in time that they were able to witness to and later record. Now, if that sounds absolutely bonkers to you, can I encourage you this Easter to grapple with the claim, I guess, at the heart of the Christian faith of Jesus' death and resurrection three days later? We'll be sharing some resources over Easter, a book called Is Easter Unbelievable? Um, and there's a website that I'd love to recommend. It's called bethinking.org, which, which helps us to think through that question and lots of other questions as well. Because if we grapple with that question and we discover the, the overwhelming evidence for, uh, for taking at face value that Jesus did really rise from the dead, then I guess every other miracle, including the plagues here, is going to seem small by comparison. So maybe that's this year is a time for you to to explore at Easter, to, to slow down and explore the evidence of the resurrection. Maybe the first time, or perhaps, again, if we've kind of lost confidence in what we believe and we want that confidence to grow again. So it's with all of that in mind that, that we are thinking this evening about real things that happen in history. A huge number of people at the time witnessed them, and, and here's what we're going to learn from them. First, we're going to learn how God responds to opposition to him. How does God respond to opposition to him? Well, these, these ten plagues, that's really what they're all about. They're like, they're like God's megaphone to the people, crying out to the people of Egypt, to the surrounding nations, I am God. All the other rival gods, they're fake. I am God. And this is what, is like, what it's like if you oppose me. What all of those ten plagues are doing is they're showing with, with an undeniable clarity that there is, there is only one true God. One true God and that all oppose him in the end will fail. That is what God is doing in these plagues. He's showing Pharaoh, Egypt, all the people that he is the only God and he can't be opposed forever. We obviously can't look at all of these plagues this evening. We're just going to try and draw some things out from all of them. But what you notice if, if you read them carefully, Eddie, um, if we can have that down, that would be great. Um, if you read them carefully, is that they, there are clearer patterns in these nine plagues. So um, in the first of every set of three plagues, we're told that, that God sends Moses and Aaron in the morning to demand that Pharaoh let the people go. Uh, then in the second of each of the three sets, uh, 
that it begins with the command, just go to Pharaoh. And then the third of the three sets, God doesn't even give Pharaoh a warning through Moses and Aaron. He just sends the plague. Now, that pattern is there because it, to show us that this is, this is something carefully planned by God. It's not like God is acting at random here. He doesn't, he doesn't notice that one plague doesn't work and think, I'll try and wear Pharaoh down with a few more. That's not what's going on. There's, there's careful planning in what happens here. God does this, and, and he, could have, he could have done it with one plague. He could have just sent one terrible plague on Pharaoh that, that would have caused him to turn back and to acknowledge that he was God and to let the people go. Actually, God makes that clear himself in chapter 9, that other reading that we had. If you look with me at chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against all your officials and against your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you hear that? God God says that, that Pharaoh could have rescued the people already with one plague. Could have rescued them through any circumstances, but he didn't. Instead, he sends ten plagues. Why? So there are 10 opportunities to demonstrate his power over Pharaoh. 10 opportunities to show that he is the only God. 10 chances, 10 opportunities to show that that he deals with opposition from those who try to take his place as God. Now here's why this is so important for us to grasp this evening. It's because this, this battle that we see going on between God and Pharaoh and all that Pharaoh represented, Pharaoh was thought of as divine in Egypt. So this battle between God and Pharaoh, it stands for the battle that we all face as Christians if we've trusted in Jesus. Because as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the New Testament uses the Exodus story to kind of describe our story. So if we've trusted in the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection for us, we've been brought out of as it were, spiritual slavery. Uh, But although we've been rescued uh, through trusting in Jesus, we're we're still in a battle. And that's what Pharaoh represents here. He represents every spiritual, every human as well, force that sets itself up in opposition to God and to God's people. Ever since the fall, ever since the first human beings turned away from God and tried to act as if they were God... There's been this conflict going on between God's people and Satan, the devil. And that conflict continues today in the New Testament book, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 warns us, Be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is what Satan wants to do to believers. He he wants to, to eat up our faith. He hates God's people. And so he he throws all that he can at opposing them. Sometimes he uses really really obvious means. For example, as as Amanda was praying, there there are places in the world right now where Christians are treated much like Pharaoh treated the Israelites. 
where, where they're horrifically persecuted for no other reason than that they call on the name of Jesus. And even in our con- country where the persecution is nothing like that at all, if we can even call it that, nonetheless, that some of us will still have faced opposition for our faith. Perhaps at home we have, we have family who don't know Jesus, or we have colleagues who don't know him, or, f- or really close friends, and it can, it can be really hard to, to stand out for Jesus. In that situation, if, if you get flack for it, that can be hard. Sometimes Satan uses obvious means. Other times his means are much more subtle. Often he, he, as it were, tries to whisper in our ears. He whispers in our ears, God couldn't possibly accept you. We, we become aware of a sin in our life, an area of sin, and the devil just loves to keep on reminding us of it, to keep putting his finger on it, saying, boy, he couldn't accept you. We know kind of in our minds that if we've trusted in Jesus, uh, well, he's, he's, the slate has been wiped clean. He's fully forgiven us, but, but we find it really hard to believe that. And the, and the devil keeps on whispering in our ear. He loves to make us think that God couldn't really accept us, even us. And if we listen to his lies, that can feel a, a pretty miserable place to be. That has certainly been my experience at times. I often find, find it hard to believe that God really does love and accept me. That he's completely forgiven me. I have to remind myself regularly of these words. These words are wonderful words from Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And I'd love to recommend them to you as words to, to memorize for those moments when, when Satan is whispering in our ears. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Not there's a little bit of condemnation left over. Not there won't be any condemnation in the future. But now, right now in this moment. Where you feel beaten up and bruised. And just kind of battered by Satan and his lies. Right now in this moment. There is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the slate is wiped clean. So Satan, he sometimes uses obvious means to oppose God's people. Opposition, obvious opposition. Sometimes it's more subtle, whispering those lies in our ears. And yet Pharaoh's Pharaoh's battle and God's victory over Pharaoh in Exodus, it gives us the confidence we need in the midst of that battle. Because we've seen how how God responds to the opposition from Pharaoh. He sends these plagues. And now we need to ask, why does he do that? Why does God respond to opposition to him in that way? Two reasons here in Exodus for us. First, he responds to opposition like that to give us confidence in his final victory over evil. To give us confidence. Imagine yourself again as that ordinary Israelite. Uh, you're in that most desperate situation of slavery. But what do you need? You need that assurance, that confidence, that, that God is able to do something about your situation. That he's able to come and intervene and work and, and bring you out of that slavery. To, to, you need to know that God is trustworthy to deliver you. And that is what the people of Israel got through these plagues. They saw God bring Pharaoh down. 
Pharaoh and all who were opposing them, and they saw that their God, the living God, was, was utterly powerful over these false gods of Egypt, and they get the assurance that they need. They get the confidence that God is going to defeat the evil of Pharaoh and bring them out of slavery. And that's the kind of confidence that we can have. If we've trusted in the Lord Jesus, we get that confidence by reminding ourselves of of his resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead assures us that, that Satan will not have the last word in our lives. He might do all that he can to oppose us as God's people, but but we're told his defeat is certain. So if the place you're in this evening is you, you are feeling very heavy and weighed down, perhaps weighed down by, by opposition you're receiving from following Jesus, maybe weighed down by Satan's lies that he keeps on whispering in your ears, whatever it is you're feeling weighed down by through, through opposition, If that's you, you can know, you and I can know, the Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. He's coming back. He's going to right all wrongs. He's going to end all injustice. He's going to bring all opposition to God and his people to an end. He's got your back. He's coming back. We're told that that when Jesus returns, he will finally defeat Satan. Romans chapter 16, verse 20 assures us that God will one day, when Jesus returns, crush Satan under our feet. So that is what God does in the face of this opposition. He deals with it. He he, he deals with it to give us confidence. Confidence in his final victory over evil. And lastly, God God responds to opposition like this in the way that he does so that we would fear him appropriately, so that we would fear him. It's not a a word that we we often use uh, so much with God, but it is a a Bible word. It is a way that God encourages us to be, to to have a a right fear towards him. For the Christian, it doesn't mean a a terror, it means a, a reverence, an awe, a respect for all that he is and all that he says. Do look with me at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 20. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and their livestock in the field. And then jump down to verse 30. After this plague of hail comes, Moses says to Pharaoh, I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Remember, God is showing uh, through these plagues that he is God, that Pharaoh is not. And he's warning Pharaoh not to put himself in place of God. He's warning the Egyptians not to ignore him as the living God. And he does that graciously so that they would turn back to him. And that's what some of them did. Verse 20, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. Some respond, but others others ignore the warning. Verse 21, those who ignore the word of the Lord left their slaves and their livestock in the field. And so Moses says to Pharaoh, I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. God deals decisively with opposition to him. Why? 
or so that we will turn back to him. We'll turn back to him and acknowledge him as the only wise, only loving, only good, only sovereign God of the universe. That's what fearing God means. It means acknowledging who he is, turning back to him, asking for his forgiveness, for living as if we were God, and then starting to follow his ways. So let me ask you this evening, do you fear God? Have you recognized that you've been living as if you were God, rather than allowing him to be God? Have you said sorry to him? Have you trusted in the death of the Lord Jesus for you? Do you fear God? If you haven't done that, if you you haven't turned back to the Lord Jesus, some of us may have been coming to church for many years, but actually if we're honest with ourselves internally, we think, I've never actually done that. I've never actually said to God, yes, this is how I've been living. I've been living as if I were God, not you. Please forgive me through the death of your son. Please bring me into your family. If that is you, it is not too late for you to fear God, for you to turn back to God. It's not too late to turn back to him, to say sorry to him for living that way, to be accepted into his eternal family. It's not too late, but but we're told very clearly in the Bible that there will come a day when Jesus returns when it will be too late. It will be too late on that day to, to turn back to him when he returns and he judges each one of us for how we've responded to him. So I plead with you, if you've never turned back to God, this, even this evening, could be an opportunity to do that. To say to God, I have been living my own way. I've been living life as if you don't exist, as if I'm God and you're not. Please forgive me. And the promise for all who call on him, all who turn to him, all who ask for that forgiveness is that he will graciously forgive and pardon and bring you into this eternal life. Or perhaps you know very clearly you are a follower of Jesus, but there is some area of your life where where you're not fearing God. I've got to examine myself about this, and, and each of us do. Are there areas in our lives where we're not fearing God, where we're not giving him the respect, the honor, the reverence that he deserves as God. An area of your life right now, and you're aware you're, you're not letting God be God. You're trying to be God yourself, as it were. In other words, choosing your own way. Your own way rather than his. I know I do that at times, and when we do that, it's like saying to God that we know better than him. It's like saying to God, I can do this on my own. I can do this part of my life. You can have all of that, but this part of my life, I just want to keep off limits. This part of me is is for me only. Well, fearing God is, is giving the whole of our lives over to him. It's saying, God, be Lord of all of my life. So I wonder if that's true for you. Where in your life might that be, be true? That, that, that there's some area of of your daily life, which you're just keeping at limits, at arm's length to God. You're trying to take God's place. I do that. You do that. What area do you and I need to bring into his presence this evening and say, 
I want you to be God. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.